0: and welcome to Hope for the Family, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. In this series, recovered family members share how they've been able to find peace and freedom as the loved ones of alcoholics and addicts through interviews and sharing their stories. For more information about our family support group, including weekly meetings, please visit magdalenhouse.org forward slash family. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening.
1: Good morning, everybody. Um, My name is Erica and um, I, as they say in in Al-Anon, when you have both programs, I am a double winner. My my sober date is May 25th, 2012, and I came into Al-Anon in January of 2018. The reason I came into Alanon originally was a little bit different than most people. But so just to kind of give a little background, because I need to share my experience, strength and hope and kind of qualify myself in that program. So I grew up in, in, in an alcoholic home and it was, there was always chaos. There was never really a whole lot of control. Uh, my mom was an, uh, an IV drug user. And my dad was, or still is a uh, very narcissistic. Right. And so there was always something that was going on. There was always this, this mental torment that I grew up in, which was, I had no control. I had no say in anything that was going on in my life. Um, I didn't know when the next shoe was going to drop. There was always something that was going to happen. Right. And so as I, um, Came into the room, and what I started to discover is that I might have other issues. (laughs) And um, those other issues were I like to be in control, right? I like to control things. I like to be right. I need to have, you know, my ducks in a row in order to feel okay, right? And so when I originally came into the program, it was because of my dad, who is not an alcoholic, but he was, um, he suffered from his dad was an alcoholic. So he grew up in alcoholism. So alcoholism had affected him long before it even, long before I was even born. Right. And so my dad growing up in in an alcoholic home, a lot of those traits and characteristics and behaviors bled into my home. And it was really hard for me to wrap my brain around. like, but my dad's not an alcoholic. I don't need Al-Anon. Al-Anon is not going to work for me. I already have the 12 steps. You know, I'm kind of one of those that once I get something, I'm like, oh. I know what's best and I know what I need to do. And I don't need you people to tell me what I need to do. Right. And it's a lot harder, right? Because whenever it comes to like controlling things, I'm really delusional to that stuff. Like I cannot see when I'm actually trying to do these, do these things and like play behind the scenes and try to play God in my own life. And so what eventually started to happen is as I was starting this program per my sponsor's suggestion, what I start to find is like, there are other things and other people in my life that I'm really trying to manage. And, and so my husband, he's also in the program. So he was one of them. Uh, My children, um, we, uh, at the time, whenever I was coming into this program, we had a uh, 15 year old, he was my stepson and he was starting to go down a path. Right. And, And literally, I was trying to dictate every little thing. Like if he came to the house drunk, then we were like grounding him for weeks and like trying to put all this pressure on him in order to stay sober because we didn't want him to grow up and live the life that we lived. You know, all the common things that as a parent, your brain starts going through. Right. And so my my experience was, is I was trying to control him so I could dictate what his future was. Right. And so, you know, there's uh, one of my good friends. She's a colleague of mine. She talks about the PR department right and how like basically there's this iceberg and you know like with an iceberg you only see like 10% of what is actually on on top right and then the other 90% like you completely miss so when we talk about the pr department we're looking like it looks a lot like and this is most people um most humans uh this is just a human characteristic is i want to be right i want to be in control and i want to look good and so when people start to affect that image, right, that I need to have. And so and so, whenever I actually started working the program in Al-Anon, one of the things that kind of slowly started coming to me, and it talks about it in the book, it says, someone in Al-Anon shared with me that I didn't cause it, I can't control and I can't cure it. Slowly a perspective, attitude and behavior crept into my awareness. And for me, because I don't know if any of y'all relate to this, I, it always comes back on me. Well, if I had been a better parent, then they wouldn't be acting this way. Right. If I would have just given them that toy, or if I would have just told them no, whenever they were little, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be who they are today. And I gave myself a whole lot of credit that I really didn't have because what I slowly had to start learning, especially. And so my, my stepson, his name is Jacoby. What I started having to learn with Jacoby was, is that like Kobe was gonna make his own decisions, regardless of what I was gonna do or what I was gonna say or any experience that I had, had and 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 that was hard for me to accept, um, because I'm like, you're the kid, you're the child, you need to get your you need to get it together, you know, and and you're making me look bad, right? And so what happens is is when our loved ones and my experience has been is when when my loved one is starting to act in certain behaviors and certain things. Then I start getting feelings. Right. There's this like pumping in my chest. My chest gets tight. I can I can hardly breathe. And I'm like, oh, my God. Right. I'm starting to feel feelings. No, I can't feel feelings. And because I can't feel feelings, then you can't control your feelings. And so therefore you need to stop. You need to stop doing this because I'm feeling feelings. I couldn't identify that back then. What Al-Anon has helped me do is get me to a place where I can identify my feelings and sit with those feelings, not sit in, there's a difference, (laughs) sit with those feelings and not have to make decisions based on how I feel, right? And that's not always easy to do (laughs) because I'm a very reactionary person. And I start to feel that tightness in my chest and I'm like, oh my God, I need to do something. And sometimes that doing something is thinking that I'm helping, right? Right you know, we talk about, you know, enabling, right? And enabling nowadays has such like a negative connotation. And and I'm not sure why, you know, this colleague of mine, she also, she created a definition for those, which is called disabling, right? And to disable someone is to do something for someone who is fully capable of doing things for themselves, Right. And I love that because it kind of takes away that negative of like, oh, you're a codependent or you're an untreated al you know, sometimes these verbiage just sound really icky. So for me, whenever I, I heard that, you know, doing something for someone else that is fully capable of doing it for themselves, I am disabling that person to have an experience that they need to have. And I am playing God in their life. And I never quite understood how I was playing. Like, I could understand how I'm playing God in my life and the insanity that comes with that. But whenever I started seeing that, because I was feeling feelings and because things were going on within myself that I couldn't handle, that I didn't know what to do with, then I was starting to dictate what other people's experiences needed to be. And the cool thing about becoming awake when you've been asleep to something (laughs) is then you start seeing how that affects in every area of your life, you know, like whether it's, you know, in your family life, when your work life in your program, like all those things. And so, and, and when you, when I know for me and my experience, it's been, you know, whenever I I've done one program and then trying to shape shift my brain into another program, it gets a little tricky. The, the, the waters get a little, little murky. So what I had to do is I had to like pray and ask for a whole new experience, an entirely new experience with this program. So I can I can see what's going to help me grow and get closer to God in my own understanding because these behaviors of me not being able to sit with my own emotions was stopping me from being the mother that God's called me to be to being the wife that God's called me to be. And one of the things that we learn is like, I, I'm given certain roles, right? And I will assign myself a role. And that usually doesn't work out very well. But when I'm, the, when I'm doing the role that God has set out before me, things get a little bit, I don't want to say easier, but things are a little bit more in here internally at peace. I'm not so conflicted within myself. And so I started going through, going through the work paths, uh, paths to recovery, Al-Anon's steps, tradition, and concepts. And then also there's a green book that's called Al-Anon's 12 steps and 12 traditions. Right. And I started going through these books with a sponsor and and there's a bunch of questions that ask you and some really like Questions that are kind of like to the obvious, you're like, duh. well, that's obvious. Yes, I do control things. Right. <clears throat> and sometimes I used to wear that like as a badge of honor. Right. And, and it doesn't why I don't know, but it's like, yeah, I'm a control freak, you know? And so as I started going through the work, you know, the, the, the blinders started to come off. And things started to be a little bit more clear to me, but it was a bumpy road because then what I was facing is I was having to face feelings and deal with feelings and emotions that I never really wanted to deal with or look at because it doesn't feel good to feel sometimes. And one of the things that I had to learn is there's no good feelings or bad feelings. All feelings have a purpose, right? If I get angry, it's not a bad feeling to feel. It can create motivation within myself to do something different, right? Same thing with pain, joy. Joy is not always a good feeling. Sometimes joy can be a little hurtful too, right? And so these are the things that I started to learn and identify within myself in order to become the person that I wanted to be, because I was tired of doing the same thing I'd always done. I was tired of, you know, because what, what ended up happening with my my stepson is, is at 16 years old, we had to kick him out of the house because he was unwilling to do anything different um, and he was given the option to either go to treatment or go be homeless with his mom because his mom was actually homeless and jumped from guy to guy. And though it was not ideal for a 16 year old and watching my husband walk through that as well, it created a lot of tension within our marriage. And there's a lot of families that today that I work with that whenever I when I talk with them, like you can see the tension that the disease of alcoholism and, and codependency um, whenever it, it's in the home it tears the family apart and that's its job. Right. And so one of the things I started having to look at and started having to see is I'm not dealing with Jacoby. I'm dealing with the illness. So this is not Jacoby that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with right now. This is not the, the little boy that I know that has the heart that, that has the compassion that has the love for others. Like we're dealing with an illness. That's actually a lot bigger than what I can control and what I can handle and what I can deal with. And so we didn't talk to Kobe for a year and a half and, um, he didn't call, we didn't call him. We allowed him to go have his own experience. And thank God at this point, like I was actually heavily like in the steps of Alanon and really focusing on myself and my husband had to do the same thing. Right. And so in that year and a half, there were a lot of bumps in the road because we would hear things, right? About what's going on out there and what Kobe's up to and what he's doing and that he's wrecked another, another vehicle, his mom's vehicle, because we didn't pay for any of that. And so April 5th of this last year, his brother on his mom's side, who was 15 years old, committed suicide and Kobe called us crying. And, was, and, and so Kobe called us crying. He's like, we're at the hospital and um, didn't, can you get up here? And so of course we drop everything that we're doing, right? Because we haven't talked to this kid in, in a year and a half. And we go out there and while we're out there, we we show up and he's in clothes that probably hasn't changed in and God knows how long, I don't know. It it just, he looked really, really bad. And so of course, when we see him, we're like, well, we want to take you to buy you clothes, right? Automatically the first thing, right? We're feeling feelings. There's sadness that's going on. It's a tragic situation. we're like, here, let us help you. He didn't ask for help. didn't say, Hey, can y'all go buy me clothes? Our immediate reaction is let us help you. Right. Because this is our little way to wiggle ourselves in and and help this kid that hasn't even asked for help. Right. So we go spend about $2,500 on clothes. Right. Because of course he wants the expensive stuff, zoomies and all that stuff. And so we're sitting there and, you know, we're pulling money out of our savings account so we can buy him clothes and do all this stuff. Right. All because we're feeling feelings all because we have these emotion inside that we don't know what to do with them. Right. So then what starts to happen, right, is we do this. We take him back to the hospital. We get home. Then I start feeling what is called fear. Right. Because now I'm in some financial fear. I'm like, oh, my God, Kobe's going to come back. How are we going to do this? Right. Right the financial fear kicks in for me. And then the next thing you, you see is my husband. He has the emotional fear that's coming in for him. So what of course starts to happen? Well, Hey, we need to talk about whether Kobe's going to be coming back to this house or not. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Henry's over here. Like, uh, my son is going through a horrible, tragic situation. And I'm like, and we're just going back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, like both of us. So what's happening in that moment, right. Is I'm transferring my emotions onto my husband and my husband's transferring his emotions onto me. And neither one of us are at a point right in that, that moment to be able to handle each other's emotion. Right. And so we're going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, like, because I had been working a program, I do I was like, Hey, we got to pause. I need to call my sponsor. Right. And so I call my sponsor in Al-Anon, and uh, she tells me she's like, "So did he ask for help?" And I'm like, "No." She's like, "So is he capable of like buying his like is he capable of like getting a job and like buying his own clothes and and stuff like that?" And I'm like, "I mean, yeah. I mean, he's not going to, but I mean, I guess he's capable." And she's like, "Okay, what are you feeling right now?" And I'm like ugh back to these feeling words and i hate feelings right i'm like i'm so done with talking about the way i feel right and that's one of the things she was really good back she's always good about pointing me back to how i feel and how my emotions are running the show and how my fears are the ones that are kind of setting all these things in place to where later i'm going to be resentful about it and so so i'm like okay and i was like how do i talk to my husband who's in complete fear right now that he's about to lose his son again right and um and she just told me she's like just listen and I'm like, "You want me to what?" <laughs> she's like, "Just don't say anything at all." And I'm like, "How do you do that?" <laughs> like, like how do you how, how do you sit here on your hands and not do anything? Like, we need an action plan, lady. Like, I'm going to need you to get to work here. And she's like, "Erica, like, you don't have to figure it out today." And like this light bulb went off, and I'm like, "Dude, what am I doing?" Right? And I'm like, "All right." So I go in and I'm like, "All right, babe, I'm going to listen, right?" And that was like the hardest thing that I had done. And I learned the principle in that moment of restraint of tongue because he was coming up with all these crazy ideas and everything inside of me. Like I'm feeling all this stuff and I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to do that. Oh my God. Our life is going to be driven right into the ground, you know, all because of alcoholism and all because of codependency. And I just listened and I was able to walk away from that conversation full of fear but because of the program that I work today, I have a tool for that. And my sponsor showed me how to write some inventory. And in um, the inventory that I wrote in Al-Anon, yes, it identified my part, but it also identified all the feelings and emotions that were going into that because it was so much more than fear. It was so much deeper than that, right? It was it was fear. It was agitation. It was life's not fair. Right. Like, I don't know if any entitlement, right. This is not fair. Why, why did this have to happen? You know, we were doing okay. Um, out of sight, out of mind. If he's not in the picture, I can sit, I can sit and be at peace, you know? Um, and so anyway, so that next day my husband calls me and he says, Hey, you know what? I think we need to see if Kobe asked for help. And I'm like, Oh my God, there is a God, right? Like one of those little God moments of like, I didn't have to do anything like, like God showed up and I was like, okay. All right. And so you start to have these little experiences within the program and you're like, okay, God's working here. Like, maybe I don't see it, maybe I don't understand why, but God's got a plan. And so kind of fast forward a little bit, you know, about 3 weeks later, um they finally have to, you know, pull the plug on on his brother and, you know, it's an emotional thing and they can't um they don't they don't have the money for a funeral, so we get this GoFundMe started and you know, someone, someone actually asked, Hey guys, will y'all be willing to just do, go fund me? So we actually waited for someone to ask us for help instead of jumping in and getting on the middle of it. And so we did that. Right. And so then Kobe comes with us on a trip shortly after we, we, we go get down to Galveston and, um, we just do like a little weekend trip and Kobe is sucking the life out of everybody. Right. <laughs> He's miserable. He just lost his brother. He's sitting in a dark room while we're in this beach house and just playing on the PlayStation. And we're like, why aren't you participating? <laughs> why aren't you getting out here and being a part of the family? Look at everything we've done for you in the last few weeks. Right. And here it comes again. Right. I start feeling feelings. I start feeling some emotions. And here I am transferring that on someone who is totally incapable of handling my feelings. I can't even handle my feelings. And yet I'm transferring it onto someone that is sick. And so we kind of have a few experiences of this back and forth, back and forth. Kobe moves back into the house. We have to ask him to leave again. And keep in mind, my husband and I, not only are we like both in recovery, we're also both in this profession with dealing with, you know, alcoholism, codependency and things like that. Mental illness. Guess what's being affected my image, right? Um, We have to have a relationship with these people and people know what we do. And here you are and and Henry and I got into this big blow up. Right. And so so one of the things I had to kind of sit with and look at and I had to write more inventory and I had to take a look within myself of like, what am I not willing to change here? Because when I come into six and seven, what I got to look at is the willingness to change and do something different and the action that has to come with that. Because, you know, it talks about these character defects that God removes. But one of the experiences that I have is like, God's not a magician. He doesn't just bippity bopity boop. My character defects are gone. Usually what happens is my, these situations get put directly in front of me in order for me to practice the principles that I'm being taught in order to do something different, right? And once I become aware of something, that doesn't necessarily mean I change it. Once I become aware, I'm given the choice on whether or not I want to change it. And I'm given the tools that are laid out at my feet in order to take the different action. And that's the hardest part for me, right? Is practical application because sometimes I can get lazy. Sometimes I can get very complacent. Sometimes I don't want to necessarily do what the next right thing is, right? And so I remember calling up one of my friends who was in the program of uh Al anon and I'm talking to her about the situation. And she's like, Erica, you just don't get it. And I'm like, get what? (laughs) Like completely lost. Like you do not see how you sit here and try to control anything and everything around you because you're constantly waiting for the next shoe to drop. You don't have the ability to like enjoy life because you're waiting for that chaotic moment. You're waiting for the next thing to happen. And you can't sit in the moment and be at peace because you're constantly trying to play the chessboard. And I was like, mind blown. Right. And I'm like, wow, you're right. <laughs> I can't just be like, I, I don't know how to just sit and not do because, you know, there is a lot of action I got to take. I don't have the, the luxury of just sitting and not doing and just like sitting with some of these feelings and emotion. There's action I got to take. But once i have gotten into Alanon, what I'm starting to see is like, just because I have a feeling doesn't necessarily mean there has to be an action that's connected with that feeling. Sometimes sitting with that feeling and saying, OK, like, what am I feeling? Why is this going on within me? Right. And I would not tell anyone that's newly sober to sit with their feelings. Um, that would be way too hard. Get into action. Please do. Um, you know, <laughs> you sit there too long, like my head goes crazy and I got a really loud head and what goes on between my ears can get really, really really, really loud. But this is kind of like later on in that whenever it starts to get a little bit more gray and it's not so black and white, you know, but as I was going through the work in Al-Anon and I was calling my sponsor and I was doing these things and I was, I was trying to get to this understanding and this basis of like, how do I let go of control? Cause I had no idea people would say, let go and let God. And I would cringe in a meeting. Like I'd literally like get angry. Like, how do you do that? What does that even mean? Do you have like a God box and like write it, write a note down and put it in the box. If you have a God box on here, that's cool. Just didn't work for me. You know, like, what is it that you do? Like, I couldn't understand. And, and, and what it took for me is the experience. The more that I experienced these kind of, I don't want to say hopeless, but I felt really powerless, right? Like I cannot control the people around me. I cannot do these certain things that are, that are happening on the outside. But then I was given this cool little tool called a boundary, right? And what boundaries started looking like for me is like, Hey, I know what I can tolerate and handle within myself. I know what emotions that I have that are going on in here. And when we talk about boundaries, like I'm just setting these boundaries to say, this is what I find acceptable in my life. And if you're not willing to respect that, then there's consequences to that. Whether that's, you no longer have a relationship with me, whether that means, you know, like we only talk a certain amount of time, or that means no more financial support or whatever, right? Like, there's always something that has to come after whatever boundary that I said. And sometimes there's not even a consequence with it. Sometimes it's just like, hey, this is my boundary. And if you don't want to respect that or, or be able to handle that, then I'm not going to tolerate the behavior that's happening to me. And through those processes, I started gaining some boundaries within my marriage, gaining some boundaries uh, with Jacoby, gaining boundaries with my nine-year-old, You know, gaining these boundaries around of like. Because it's not just with the disease of alcoholism that I have to do it. I definitely have to do it with that. But I can also do it with everybody in my life. I had to set up boundaries within my work because I was becoming a workaholic. And here's the thing. Like, if you, get, if you work for a company, they will take and take and take. If you're that hard worker, you know, you can work for some good companies. But if you're that top one, man, they're going to be like, hey, if you want to do it, do it all right. And so I had to start setting some boundaries within my job. And with that came some freedom. Because one of the things that I've learned about myself is I am a people pleaser. And I used to not like to admit that because I wanted everybody to see on the outside is I don't care what you think, you know, I'm going to do me. The reality is, is one of the most dishonest things that you can do is people please. And I know alcoholics have this problem too, right? We want everybody to like us. We want to be validated. We want people to kind of come in and, um, you know, see, right. That PR department, see that I'm looking good, being right. And, you know, I'm in control. But the reality is, is like, that's one of the biggest things where I see it takes people back out and where people falter on their boundaries is because of people pleasing. Well, if I set this up and I say that, then what if they don't want anything to do with me anymore? What if they leave? What if they never call me anymore? And one of the things that I had to come to and I had to accept around that is, is like, their reaction is not my job. That's God's job, how they react, how they respond. Like my job is just to set out in front of me what I need to do for myself in order to grow closer to my creator. And that's it. And whatever they do is on them. They have choices just like I have choices. And I can choose to continue to stay in this, this madness, this craziness, this chaos, or I can choose today. Right. And it's not always easy. Uh, that's why I have to have a sponsor. That's why I have to have a program that I can work. That's why I have to continue to work with other women in this. But whenever I start setting those boundaries and I start putting you know, those barriers up around me, I gain a little bit of myself back. I don't feel so powerless anymore because I'm able to say like, okay, whatever this person's going to do, they're going to do that. And I don't have to control their reaction today. And that's what the program Valonon has taught me, right? Through making amends, through writing inventory, through character building, because that's one of the big keys of these of all these programs is character building. I don't like who I am when I get here, but I'm so terrified of who I'm going to become on the other side of it. So I pause, and I'm like, you know what? Who I am is a lot more comfortable than becoming whatever you're wanting me to be over here by these little twelve steps you got, right? Because it gets so scary, and and so both programs, but especially Alan has taught me not only I need to look at how I feel, but there's some character building that I've got to do. There's some things that I've got to change within myself because I am the one that's creating my own problem. I think Patrice actually said it. Like when I get stuck and everybody else is the problem, that's when we got problems, right? Because that's whenever all this stuff in here and this stuff that's going on in my head gets really, really loud. And I like the blame game. I will play some self-defeating games. I will play the blame game. I will play you know, I'm going to get you before you get me. Right. And all this like sickness will start to come up. And so, um, whenever I came to step 12 in Al-Anon, there's a part in step 12 that I read. And like I said, I was in another program but it's so key because it it reminds me of why I do what I do, right? It's vital for one alcoholic to work with another alcoholic. It's vital for one Al-Anon member to work with another Al-Anon member. So that way these things can be passed down. So other people can get the same tools that were so freely given to me. And it said, it can be said that an entire Al-Anon program is summed up in step 12. We acknowledge the results of our efforts, a a spiritual awakening, commit ourselves to sharing the gifts we have received and recognize that living a spiritual life is an ongoing process. We have found a new way of life in Al-Anon and to keep what we have found, we continue appreciating the gifts and giving away the three parts of step 12, raise the following question. What is a spiritual awakening? How can we try to carry this message? And what are the principles that we practice in all of our affairs? And I love that because it continuously reminds me of like what I'm here to do, right? In order to give away what I've received, I have to continue to do in the work myself. I've got to continue to maintain the spiritual experience and the spiritual awakening that I've come into. I cannot transmit something that I do not have. Right. And that's, that comes with working a sponsor, having someone hold me accountable in the things that I do. Someone that's going to be like, Erica, you're being crazy right now. Right. And I'm almost 10 years sober. And to have some, some woman in Al-Anon tell you that is like a blow to your ego of like, Hey dude, you're acting insanely. And I'm just like, listen, lady, you don't know me. (laughs) That was always my go-to. You don't know me. Um, and I, sometimes my pride and my ego, okay, stop. <laughs> my pride and my ego will kick into that, right? And and that's what it is, right? And then, you know, practicing the principles and all my affairs. I don't do it perfectly by any means, but through experiences, I have to have the experiences of actually practicing this stuff. And sometimes that's really frustrating because God will put really annoying people in my life, like people that drive me absolutely nuts, Right but those are my greatest teachers. The ones that piss me off the most are the ones that show me so much truth about myself that I have to swallow. And it's not always easy. And I, and it's always the same person, just a different name. It's literally the same one, just in a different flesh. I'm like, great. I'm dealing with you again. You know? And then the other key piece is carrying this message to other women and, and helping them learn how to practice these principles and all their affairs as well. And all I am is the vessel. I'm not the dictator. I'm not the one to tell you what to do. All I can do is share my experience, strength, and hope and hopes that my pain helps you a little bit. Um, and the stuff that I walk through will help you a little bit. And through that process, like I get freedom from it. Right. And through that process. And so what is, what Al-Anon has done for my life today is, that today I don't have to just have a reaction because I feel something today. I can set boundaries in place today. I don't have to disable a loved one or coworker that's fully capable of doing something for themselves. And today I can stay on my side of the line, right? Which are my emotions, my feelings, my program, my sponsor, all the things that are on my side of my line. And I don't have to cross over that line. And when I do, because I'm a human being and I, and I make mistakes, I'm able to get back onto my side of the line and I can clean that up. I have the tools today to be able to clean up my side of the street and, and get to a place where, where I don't have to affect someone else having an experience for themselves. So at that, the end, thanks for letting me on.
0: This podcast is from the Magdalene house, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.